you're about to hear is the fusion of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Merry Christmas, America. Hey, it is uh, Justin Barclay from Wood Radio, W-O-O-D in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and coming to you on a very Merry Christmas. It was 50 here yesterday, last night, out walking the dog, and now it's 23 and snowing. A white Christmas. I don't know what it's like where you are, but we'll try to bring you a little bit of Christmas cheer this morning. Lots going on, lots to talk about. Pardons, vetoes, and more. We'll get to it all coming up right after this on the Glenn Beck Program. This is... The Glenn Beck Program. Welcome back to the Glenn Beck Program. Justin Barkley uh, filling in for Glenn today, and a very Merry Christmas to you. Uh, Yeah, it's been a wild year. Lots going on, too, and coming up, actually, in the program, we're going to talk with folks uh, all over the country. I want to talk to you, but I'm also going to reach out and talk to some people that you may not have heard of or from just yet. You can hear some news that you may not hear, especially if you're watching the traditional sources, the networks, the you-know-who, usual suspects. One of the most troubling things for me during this entire last year, the election process, but also the pandemic, and, and we've seen this kind of creeping in for the last several years, has really been this, this idea that who can you trust anymore? Where do you go for, like, real credible information? And especially in a time when you really need it, now more than ever. I think we have been at war for quite some time. Whether or not we recognize it, whether or not it's clearly stated, there is a war on for the information. It's sort of this new generation, this next, you know, maybe this is World War III and how it'll be thought. But World War III might be with strokes on keyboards. We've seen these hacking issues uh, that have played the government very recently here. We've heard issues with the election, and in fact, coming up, we'll talk with an attorney who says he has the goods. You may have heard of this little tiny county in Michigan where I'm from. It's up north. It's called Antrim County. Traditionally, it's a, well, it's it's a mostly Republican county. Funny thing happened on election night. Results came back, and it had swung big time for Joe Biden. Well, not so fast. There was an issue. They said it was a human error. But a Michigan attorney investigating, because of a lawsuit filed that had nothing to do really with the presidential race, it was something else. He'll get into that and and talk about why, but also what they found. I mean, the real nitty-gritty, the data from those Dominion voting machines that he thinks is a reason to question not just little Antrim County here in Michigan, but many other counties here in the state that use the same software. And not just Michigan, in fact. But states throughout the entire country. We've heard these names, but we haven't heard 
the rest of the story. But you will today. Coming up in the next hour, we'll talk with Michigan Attorney Matt Taperno. I'm also going to get into some of these other stories that you'll hear. Um, eh, maybe you won't hear the full, you'll hear stories, but you won't hear maybe the full reasons and and the real, I don't know, the real story of what's happening. Uh, so what was in, speaking of which, that gigantic pork-filled burrito. I like, I, I think that sounds, it sounds delicious. The pork-filled burrito. Uh, that Congress passed the other day. The president came out and said $600 isn't enough. I need $2,000. And that's what most news organizations are focusing on. In fact, Nancy Pelosi loved that idea. She's jumping into action today. She might even get a vote done in the House on $2,000. But what was left out of the reporting is what was in that bill and what he said needs to happen with the rest of those ingredients. He wants to hold the pork. You're not really hearing that full story. We'll talk about that. Plus, pardons galore. Lots happening uh, this time of year, and people have questions about all of it. We'll give you a chance to join us, in fact. Uh, you can do that on the program today at any time. The number is 888-787-BECK. That's 888-787-BECK. And you can also email me, Justin at JustinBarclay.com. But, you know, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm all those places at Mr. Justin Barclay. Before we kind of kick things off, I want to talk about the year. Well, the year it was. And for a lot of folks, you know, these issues that we're talking about, election, pandemic, I mean, they're so much deeper. They're so much more real. There's so much more raw than just those labels and these ideas that, well, we had an election. There's some questions. Yes, there's a pandemic. For many folks, I mean, there's 300,000. Christmas just won't be the same this year. Thousands here in Michigan, thousands in New York, lost loved ones, needlessly, really, because governors in certain states, like our governor here, Whitmer, Cuomo in New York, the man who may be the attorney general, sent sick patients, elderly, out of hospitals and into nursing homes, infecting and killing countless. And I don't know, I said thousands earlier, but I say countless now because we really don't have a full number of how many people died in New York, because there's still some questions about who died where. And do they have numbers of the folks who were sent from the nursing homes then after they were sick back to the hospitals and then they died in the hospitals? We don't have a clear count. One thing I think we have learned over this last year is that government agencies, the government in general, just <laughs> ain't very good with counting in general. We're seeing that on all levels right now when it comes to vote counts. But those numbers in those hospitals and those numbers in those nursing homes, they're not very good with really accounting for, for certain folks, especially when they want to hide certain things. We've seen a lack of transparency. And if there's any appearance of impropriety at all in any election, 
Well, there never really should be. That's another uh, an issue we're facing. It's not just this election for those that want to fight and say, hey, let's let's get down to the bottom of this. We're going to fix this next time. Moving forward. No, no. No, we fix this now. We deal with this now or it never gets done. We know how government works. We've seen it over the last year. One thing that I said early on into this whole thing is that 2020 would be a year of revelation. What I meant by that is that everything would come to light. We would see all things exposed, and people too. And you may start to see this in a lot of different ways. If you think back, you know, the good and the bad, the real character of people is shining through now more than ever. That may be a good thing. And some and, and others, well, a little less desirable. Are really starting to see that in so many different ways. Republicans and Democrats, that old school way of looking at the world of this duality and one versus the other. I think that whole charade is starting to fade in, in the eyes of some as, as well. I think we're starting to see in some ways that it's average folks, and maybe you and I, maybe we have similar or different political opinions, but it's average folks in a lot of ways versus the swamp, versus the system. And what's interesting to me is that we've been divided more than ever this year with what we've seen happening on the streets. We've been divided in so many different ways by what we've been shown through media, on televisions, and social media. But I'm seeing some interesting pieces of this puzzle starting to come together where folks who may support radically different causes understand one thing, and they have this one thing in common. Government is not their friend. The system that's currently in place ain't working. In some ways, that's terrifying, but in others, it's glorious because people are waking up. Now, I don't know what happens, but I know that people are finding common ground. I know that people are finding themselves agreeing. The president and Nancy Pelosi, Ilhan Omar, $2,000, this 600 wasn't enough. Now, a lot of this is politics. But it's incredible to me, all of the money that we're sending overseas, and we have people right here at home who are hurting. And the reason they're hurting, maybe we don't agree with. Some say, yeah, the governors had to do what they had to do in several states. In mine, many believe that ours went too far and continues to, shutting folks down. But the one thing that we all can't agree with 
as we start to see things kind of really crystallize with clarity, is that change is happening. After all, it is time for it. What will it look like on the horizon? We'll talk about that coming up. Plus, today is a day of hope. And it's my prayer that maybe we'll find it all together a little bit today as we search for those things that can bring us together on a Christmas Eve in late December in this spectacular year in so many different ways. We'll talk about all of it coming up right after this on the Glenn Beck Program. Justin Barkley in for Glenn Beck today on the Glenn Beck Program, and I appreciate you being here as always. You know, one of the things uh, I was just talking about, and, and I think I'm going to share throughout the program today, is just kind of my philosophy. I always tend, and I don't know if this was something that was just part of my personality, ingrained in me as a child, I don't know. But I always tend to look for the good in things. It's a trait that has really come in handy this year. I have seen so many instances throughout the entire year. In fact, it started pretty rough. I'm going to tell you some stories about this year. And on the outside, seem absolute tragedies. But through it all, on closer examination, I discovered in many ways were triumphs. And I think it's important to take a step back, especially on a day like today, on Christmas Eve, and look for the good. So this year started off kind of rough. About a year ago, in fact, to the day, I got a phone call that... um but I didn't want to get. I was sitting down in this chair, in this room, to go live with you for Glenn on the Christmas program. My first time actually filling in for Glenn. It was something that I had been looking forward to uh, for quite a long time. But in that moment, all of the excitement, everything sort of ramping up for that one moment, it all kind of faded away when I got the call. Uh, a very good friend of me, uh, he, he's, he's actually not just a friend, he's family. We're not blood, but he's my brother. His mother had just gone into the hospital. And she was having some problems breathing, and we knew that she needed to get looked at. But we were pretty 
confident the day before when we left that everything was going to work out and that she was in the right place. And of course we were praying for her, but we just didn't imagine, I think in a million years that, that we would get the call that we got. So as I sat down to go live with you, and in fact, it was just moments before I went on the air, I got the call that she wasn't going to make it. She was in her last few moments. And as I think back on this whole year, that for me was one of the moments that started this roller coaster of a ride. I can't tell you everything that I thought of as I did that show. And in fact, I can't really tell you everything that happened. I know bits and pieces. I just kind of made it through. Because in those moments, I think just like we have this entire year, have the ability to see what matters most. It's the gift of true clarity. Everything else just fades away. All the noise, all the nonsense, and our lives are filled with plenty of it. Got to get the kids to this soccer practice. I got to make sure that I take care of this for work. Oh, and I got that list of things I got to do for the house. But all of that, all of that garbage it just sort of fades away. And our ability to have the perspective to see what really matters most in our times of need, in the emergencies, really becomes extra sharp. I raced over to the hospital, which is just blocks away from where I am now, after I got off the air that day. And was able to be there with my brother. With his mom. And what happened next, I am just so grateful for. It's just one of the many miracles that I've witnessed over the last year. Even in the face of some of the darkest times, these lighting, they just pierce through these moments. And I'll share them because I think they're so important. Coming up next, we'll pick up after this. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Well, welcome back. It's Justin Barclay from a wintry West Michigan. In for Glenn Beck today on the Glenn Beck Program. And a Merry Christmas to you. We are just talking about this last year and what a year it's been. I mean, who am I kidding? What a what a year this last week has been. You know, stranger to the chaos. But even as it swirls, as I thought about this show today and what we might talk about and what we might share, I thought it would be important to share some things that... really highlight maybe what matters most, not just in years like this, but eternally. 
One of those stories, I told you, we we started last year um, in a really, personally anyway, in a really tough way. The story of my best friend, uh, who's, who's not blood, but he's family. He's a brother. And I get the call. That as I'm hosting this show, I find out his his mother is spending her last few moments in a hospital just just blocks from where I am. And as I said, you know, the buildup and the anticipation and everything is looking forward to being on the air with you that day. And it all faded away for the things that matter most. And I talked a little bit about that clarity. I want to share with you because I think it's important. Why we need clarity in times like this. And the truly happy ending to her story. That you just don't want to miss because I think it's just like everything else we're going through right now. For everything, no matter what it is, there's a messy middle. There's a point where it just doesn't look like there's any hope at all. And I think for... Well, for most times, maybe... Even that's good, too. Maybe it's a test. I don't know. Sometimes it's harder than others to find the good. I've seen that in my own life. But I know that it's there. I, I've seen it. Time after time, but even knowing sometimes just isn't enough. It's a real test of faith. But without that test, do we even have faith? Anyway, I, I know that miracles happen every day because I've seen them. And one of the things I've learned throughout this year is that without those tests, without the dark times, there's no opportunity for miracles to happen. I mean miracles where you really look at a situation, where you really look at something and say, that was God. My brother, my friend, and I often have conversations especially after the year he's been through. We've been through it together. Where we talk about the God of 1159.59. And it's kind of our little inside joke, but it's the truth that sometimes he just doesn't show up until the very last moment. And why is that? Maybe it's because 
he really wants you to know that it was him and it was all him. I think as a country, (laughs) we're inching closer to that moment. I don't know what's going to happen. But I know that no matter what does, he's still in control. And he's still on the throne. And it's my goal to share some stories today, maybe, that I've experienced that will help point to that. I would also encourage you to share some as well. And I'll give you an opportunity to call in, to email, or to shoot me a message on Twitter. Our number is 888-727-BECK. That's 1-888-727-BECK. So I rush to the hospital. Then I find my best friend with his mom, and she lies peacefully there. In her last moments, he got to say goodbye. Family's got the chance to gather around her. And to wish her well. She was such a great person. Just truly a saint. And... In those last moments, something absolutely remarkable happened. As she was lying there, taking her last few breaths, and the body was starting to shut down. I had just had a conversation with someone. And I don't know why, but I can tell you that the one thing I've learned is that there are no coincidences. I just don't believe in coincidences. But I had just sat down and had a conversation with a, a friend who started a podcast, and he has a mission that he spends time with people, helping them in hospice care in their very last moments on earth. And he started this new podcast. He just wanted to shoot the breeze with me about this and and pick my brain. He started this new podcast about hospice care itself and to help people become familiar with it. Family that are going through it, the people themselves that that are going to be going through this hospice care. And we just had a conversation. He plays music. He has a guitar and he comes into the room and he says that oftentimes there's a lot of therapy that can come out of those moments with people, no matter what it is. And he told me about an absolutely miraculous story about playing for a man in his last moments, some music that he really enjoyed. And at that point in time, as I'm sitting there with my friend and his mother, the one thing that pops into my head is what can we do now to just make her comfortable? To just ease this transition. And I thought about that conversation I had with him. And I instantly asked my friend. What kind of music 
well, what kind of music does she like? And he replied back, well, you know, she really liked the 50s. Sort of rock and roll. And he'd given me a name of a band and I pulled it up on my phone, started playing. He said, you know what? Tell you what she really liked. And he told me the name of the song, but then he said, but, you know, if you play that, I'm just going to lose it. In fact, that same song was played at his father's funeral. I still got the sense that he wanted me to play it even though he had some reservations so i looked at him in the eye and he said you want me to play it and he agreed and i pulled it up quickly on youtube found it we got no more than a full minute into that song. And she had peacefully passed. On eagle's wings. I will never forget that Christmas. And as much pain as it was for us and for him. There was even more joy. There was even more hope in that one moment. Because what we had witnessed was absolutely divine. It was a miracle. It's the only way I can describe it. But how many of those moments have we witnessed, even in some of the darkest times throughout this past year? For me and my wife, I can tell you we're witnessing one right now. This year has been bookended by miracles. Ours is a little tiny two pound born way too early baby miracle that arrived just in time for Christmas. I'll share with you that story right after this. You're listening to Glenn Beck. Welcome back in. It's Justin Barkley in for Glenn today on the Glenn Beck program. 888-727-BECK. That's 888-727-BECK. I was just telling you, even in the darkest of moments, boy, I, the, the light really shines through. In these last few months, this year, we've seen a lot of dark moments, but we have seen some bright, shining ones, too. I just experienced one 
I became a father. My wife and I uh, found out we were going to be pregnant. Well, she was doing the heavy lifting there, but <laughs> we found out we were going to have a kid. Um, it was an amazing I got to tell you, I should probably be back up and tell you the story. The way she did it is, she told me, was absolutely incredible. I found out on Father's Day. She gave me a little present for the nursery, for the baby's room. It was a little cross that said, for this child we have prayed. And there was a little onesie outfit in there that she had uh, she had made and put together, decorated herself, and a and a pregnancy test. <laughs> when I ripped this thing open on Father's Day, now it wasn't I'll tell you a surprise or or, or strange for me to get this present because we often kind of do little. Gifts for each other, Mother's Day and Father's Day. It's just kind of tongue-in-cheek for for the dog. <laughs> and so I, I didn't think anything of it, but when I tore open into that thing and I, I, I opened it up, I, I saw all of it sitting there, and I just... My jaw must have hit the, the ground. And I looked at her and said, wait a minute. Is this for real? <laughs> Is this a joke? Is this real? She said, yeah, it's real. You're going to be a dad. And I about lost it. So I find out on Father's Day, even in the midst of this chaos swirling all about us, something very good has happened. Now, well, there were times that we probably asked questions. Was this the right thing in the middle of all this? Yeah. Yeah, it certainly was. And the miracle that we just experienced with her birth, I think, proves it all. I'll share that story with you. And why do all of these miracle moments matter? The perspective that we all could use in this year, just in time for Christmas. Coming up next on the Glenn Beck Program. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Merry Christmas, America. From a wintry West Michigan wonderland to uh, you, no matter where you are or how you're celebrating. I'm Justin Barkley at WOOD. That's Wood Radio in Grand Rapids. And uh, it's a pleasure. It's an honor to be filling in for Glenn again this year. What a year it's been. We were just talking about this and the the breadth of it all, the depth of it all, has been incredible. But even in the darkest moments, there have been ones that just shine through. And that's kind of what we're focusing on today. The hope. Tis the season. And I'll share why it matters. Coming up in just a moment on the Glenbeck Program. She was a little early, three months in fact, 
Our little Christmas miracle, just in time for the holidays here. Two pounds, six ounces. Our baby girl. Our daughter was born on the 6th, and she is just over two weeks old now. And she has spent her first days of her life in the NICU here at home in the capable hands of some people who are just absolute angels. But I I told you earlier how I found out I was going to be a father. And her story and how she came into this world and the miracle that she is is even better. So my wife's water broke. And as I mentioned, a little early, or a lot in this case, in the middle of the night, she says, I think I got to call the doctor. Something's not right. We did, and they said, you need to get to the hospital. You're probably going to be there for a while. We packed up, as they told us to get a bag together, and we rushed off at about 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning that day. We were the only ones there when we walked in. Greeted in the dark by a nurse who put all of her information into the computer, asked her all the pertinent questions, and then whisked us off into a little room where they would get her vitals and check on the baby. Baby in the ultrasound was breach. And they warned us. Boy, they told us every possible thing that could go wrong. This baby may come today. Oh, that's far too early, I thought. But if she does, she's going to have to be cut out. It's a C-section. This is what we do. This is how we do it. You're in capable hands, they assured us. But we just weren't ready for baby. <laughs> it was just far too early. They said, though, that if she stayed there, the goal was for her to make it to at least 34 weeks to keep baby safe. Mom would be on bed rest. They pumped her full of some drugs and, of course, whisked her upstairs to another room where she was going to be under the watchful eyes of even more nurses and doctors would be making the rounds and, again, telling us, well, if she is born, here's the worst that could happen. And, boy, oh, boy, it was alarming. We stayed in that hospital for about a week until it started happening. She started feeling some cramping, she said. And then eventually that turned into contractions. And... I still wasn't convinced, but baby was coming and it happened so fast. They started checking on her and they did another ultrasound just to find out 
what baby's doing. And this time, she wasn't breech. And what that means is the baby to be born naturally and the way we wanted everything to work out, the head has to be down. I'll spare you all the details, but in the beginning, head wasn't down, the feet were. So they had to do a C-section if she was born at that point or delivered. And miraculously, she had flipped. Now, this is kind of strange because that doesn't really normally happen until further down the road, 30-some-odd weeks. And we were only at 27. So baby has flipped. We couldn't believe our eyes. They took us downstairs to the labor and delivery department and into a new room yet again. And another bed where my wife, who I am so proud of, she is so strong. She's incredible. She gave birth to that baby without any pain meds or any of that. And just fought right through everything. I, I, again, it happens so fast, I can't even begin to explain to you how quickly. But we blinked, and the doctor was out of the room for just a moment, checking on another patient. Had to be called back in because it was like, hey, I feel like I need to push. I think this baby is coming. And she did. Sure enough, she was born naturally, beautifully, face up, looking at the world, eyes open, crying a little bit, and breathing on her own, which is another miracle. Because at that age... That gestation, they call it, they're just, their lungs aren't normally developed that much. They're not really ready. But there she was, our little Ada Grace, born at two pounds, six ounces, just tiny, but fierce, strong, and a fighter. A real miracle. Oh, we've been basking in that glow, even as we go back and forth to the NICU for visits every day, and sometimes several times a day. We're so grateful that we have such an amazing resource in the the Helen DeVos Children's Hospital here in Grand Rapids, where I'm at, in Michigan. But we got a phone call this week during a, a follow-up appointment that she had with her OB and the doctor told her her words not mine that some things that we didn't realize but the doctor followed up with us about that they had learned during the delivery could have caused complications if the pregnancy would have gone further out in the doctor's words not mine she said it's a miracle that everything just happened the way it was supposed to. And baby's safe, and baby's fine. She's perfect. She was just a little early, and a little impatient. And thanks, 
by the way, to this audience, to Glenn himself, who asked this audience to pray a day that my wife's water broke. I want to tell you that those prayers worked. That prayers do. And why I think that's so important. My perspective on this last year, my perspective of what I've gone through recently and what we'll have to continue to fight through is this. When the clarity comes during these times, and it will, it gives you an advantage, a vision, a viewpoint, that perspective that really counts. Because when you can see crystal clear, and they say hindsight is twenty twenty. Well, you can look back on this year and even in the moments that we're facing on a daily basis and know what matters most because you've been tested. But then know that with faith that even some of the darkest days you can find some bright moments. You can find some good in all of them. And that good will come As I said before, you know, my faith that no matter what happens around us with the election and politics, that no matter what happens and no matter how bad it gets, that God is still in control and he's still on the throne. That's the comfort that gets me through. But why do these things matter? Because if you don't know what matters most and if you don't understand what makes you tick? If you don't have those priorities and those values locked in, then when you hit the real hard times, and I don't even think we've seen those just quite yet. But if they do come, Will you be prepared? Because if you don't know who you are, what makes you tick, you cannot stand. And we're starting to see people already fall back in many different ways. One who has not. Here in Michigan... We'll talk a little bit about what he's discovered. An attorney, Matt DiPerno, you've heard about the Dominion voting systems. You've heard about the glitches that happen in one tiny little county here in Michigan, Antrim County. But how does that and what they've discovered affect not just the rest of the state of Michigan, but the entire country in this election? Attorney Matt DiPerno will join us next and share that. Justin Barkley in for Glenn, the Glenn Beck Program. Justin Barkley in for Glenn today on the Glenn Beck Program. I appreciate you being here with us. And Merry Christmas. 
we were just talking about standing up and why tough times really um, make the most of who we are. And you got to be prepared. I know that many people are standing, but many people have decided that it's just not worth it. Especially during this fight for truth. It's not a fight to overturn elections. It's a fight for truth in elections. Matt DiPerno joins us at DiPerno Law Office here in uh, Michigan. An attorney here with that uh, case that you've been hearing about out of Antrim County and the Dominion voting system. Matt, appreciate you being here with us today. How are you? Merry Christmas. I'm great. Merry Christmas. Thanks for having me on. So the reason I wanted to have you on is a lot of people we've been hearing these whispers of Antrim County. I've been following a little closer because I'm here in Michigan and your story, uh, the, the hearings that we've seen here in the state as well. But, you know, the, there's a lot of people that just haven't heard this news because, well, the networks aren't talking about it. There's no question that, you know, in, in their eyes, nothing to see here. But you say different. And I think it's important to hear from people like you and to find out what what happened and why aren't we hearing about it. So, Matt, let's start with where this lawsuit came from, because I think that's an interesting story in itself. Sure. I, I, and I, I agree with you. I think people should hear about it. Uh, this lawsuit came because my client, William Bailey, who's a resident of Antrim County, a small little county in northern Michigan, he had questions about whether his vote counted in this election uh, because uh, on, on November 3rd, Antrim County, a, a county that's normally 65% uh, red, uh, went for Joe Biden. Uh, he won the state uh, with 65% of the vote. And that didn't uh, make sense to people in Antrim County. Uh, so he contacted the the county clerk and had questions about the election, she had to investigate because she didn't even realize something went wrong. She just believed the machines. Um, so she had to do a recount of uh, parts of that county and found out that the machines were wrong and that uh, uh, Donald Trump actually won the county by the historic uh, typical margin of 65%. Um, we also knew that in one precinct where Mr. Bailey votes, Three ballots were destroyed, and there were some significant questions regarding down-ballot races. So we filed a lawsuit on November 23rd and asked the judge to enter uh, an injunction allowing us to go into Antrim County and take forensic images of the computer software. Um, and he granted that request. And what's interesting about it is because... Um, uh, we were challenging down-ballot races. Uh, we weren't Donald Trump. We weren't uh, a part of his legal team. No one knew about the case, and frankly, no one cared. Uh, and they didn't care about the case until they realized that on December 3rd, a, a chilly sunny Sunday morning in Antrim County, uh, my team of seven forensic experts flew into Antrim County and we were in the county building collecting forensic images of the master tabulator, 16 thumb drives, and 16 data cards. That's when the media finally started to figure out what we were doing. Hmm. Yeah, interesting because you said this down-ballot races were being challenged. What, what was the race specifically since it wasn't the presidential race? It was a school board race, and it was a school board race that um, uh, uh, had – 
significant problems. There are actually two school board races in that uh, precinct. In one of those school school board races, only six people were eligible to vote in that race, um, and yet uh, hundreds were recorded as actually voting. Um, and that didn't make any sense. So on the on the recount on November fifth, uh, they had to correct that and 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 show the the people in Antrim County that that uh, votes uh, had been stored essentially in these down ballot school board races um, and had to be reallocated then to the proper races. Um, and that didn't make sense to a lot of people. So we. Uh, that that's one of the reasons we brought suit. So you actually got to take a look at what's in these voting machines. What was in those machines? Coming up next, we'll find out. Matt, hang on the phone with us. And also, let's talk about this fight. Because it hasn't all been an easy road. The challenges that continue to come and why you need to hear about them. We'll take a break. Be right back. After this, Justin Barkley in today for Glenn Beck today on the Glenn Beck Program. Welcome back to the Glenn Beck Program. Justin Barkley in for Glenn today. And I just got word that my email, something very strange is happening. My email is not working. And uh, I guess the folks are getting emails bounced back to them. No clue why. I'm sure it has nothing to do with what we're talking about today, what we're going to talk about. But if you want to reach me in the meantime, you can uh, you can go ahead and uh, get to me on Twitter and Facebook, Instagram, at Mr. Justin Barkley, all those places. Michigan Attorney Matt DiPerno is on with us right now, and Matt is the, the attorney who has actually been the guy behind filing the lawsuit in that little county, Antrim County, in Michigan. You have probably heard just a little bit about Antrim County. If you haven't, it's a tiny county where irregularities were discovered. Traditionally, this is a county that has swung mostly Republican. It generally does. But in this last election, using Dominion voting machines, it went the other way. And at first glance, they didn't know why. What happened? Well, the Secretary of State here in Michigan says, well, that was that was a human error. But this attorney, along with his client, wanted to take a closer look, specifically because of a school board race there. So they were able to. They were able to get in and take a look at those machines. And what they found was quite astounding. What they found, I think, is something that's even more astounding is that it's not being covered. Not just what they found, but the fact that you're not hearing about it. Well, that's, to me, the real troubling part. If you watch a network, any of them, or you read these traditional newspapers, or go to the old sources, you're just not going to hear it. And why is that? Matt himself is actually facing resistance. 
Some of the things that I think have happened with uh, this story with him, I think, is, are quite interesting. We'll get into that coming up in just a second. Matt DiPerno back with us right now. Matt, what, so what did they find when they got in and did this, this, um, this kind of look under the hood with the Dominion machines and the software? Well, what they found is that the, the Dominion machine uh, intentionally uh, and purposely uh, is designed to generate errors. When you run a ballot into the machine, that ballot is paper. That machine converts that paper ballot to data, and that data can be manipulated. So we found that uh, the machine itself generates errors when you run a ballot through the machine, and those ballot uh, uh, those ballots that generate errors are put into a folder that's called an adjudication folder. And then somewhere, somewhere in the other room, in another county, in another state, or even in another country, can sit down and mass adjudicate those ballots with one click of the button without any oversight from anyone else. And that appears to be the intent of the Dominion voting machine, to allow people to manipulate ballots with no oversight or transparency and no audit trail. Let me get this straight. You're saying that somebody can log in from anywhere, even overseas, and without anybody knowing that it's done, rule a ballot proper or not, and in in essence, uh, get rid of votes altogether. Revote the votes is what they can do, and they revote. Right. Revote the vote. So you get an you get a ballot that generates an error. That ballot goes to adjudication. That person on the other side of the screen is able then to determine how to vote that ballot based based on how they perceive the voter intended to vote. But they can do it in mass. They can do a thousand ballots at once with one click of the button. And this is actually all laid out in the Dominion man- manual. It's not even a secret. Wow. Chapter eight of their manual tells us how to do it. So, what's your sense on why people aren't hearing about this? I mean, this is—it's—it's it's being reported by some organizations, but mostly no networks have touched this. Nobody's really covered. And if they do, they run pieces where they say where they they really say that uh, you know this is all. Without any evidence, you know, that this is false. Correct. Without ever talking to me, without ever talking to my forensic team, the mainstream media, if they cover it at all, they claim that everything in our report has been debunked. But no one's tested it. No one has hired their own uh, separate experts. No one has challenged anything in the report. They just say it. And we all know if the mainstream media says it, that it must be true. So that's where we stand right now. I've not received one single phone call from any major news network regarding this story. And we put this report out on December 14th, and, and they've gone mainly silent about the, uh, the entire findings regarding the intent and the purpose of this domain. Have you been in contact with any of the president's team, and what have you heard from them? I have. I've talked to some of the people on on his team. Um, they they are certainly uh, excited and interested about the finding and the report. 
Um, and uh, I understand and know that the president has seen it. People on his team have seen it. People with, in uh, national security have seen it. And we even included parts in the report that specifically state that there was uh, election interference by foreign governments. Um, and, and that's important, too. But no one wants to talk about that. Give me the specifics on that. How, how, how do they find this and what is it? Well, the, the, we know specifically that the Dominion machine can connect to the Internet. We know that the Dominion machine was tied to solar winds. We know that the Dominion machine, at least in its inception, was created through the Venezuelan government. And we can see Internet uh, activity on election night involving Dominion voting systems. And we can see that Internet activity all across the country. Uh, and the world um, in, in, the, in on election night, we can see that people were able to offload uh, or export data files and uh, probably manipulate them and, and send them back uh, to various counties across the country. This is a big deal, what we discovered in terms of how this machine operates and what its intended function is. This is not a machine that's designed to count your vote and my vote and add those up, one plus one equals two. That's not the design or intent of the machine. Why is this so important? Because I, I, I know that folks in this presidential election uh, may have their thoughts or feelings about that, but there are other elections. In fact, that race that you talked about with the school board, I mean, something is local and is, as uh, seemingly insignificant as they may want to say, uh, as a school board race, it may matter more to folks at home, but, you know, those votes are at stake, too. All of the down-ballot races are at, at, at stake. We see this, not just the presidential election uh, or the Senate races, we see voter manipulation all the way down to the local level and school board races. Uh, it's happened, um, uh, the entire ballot is what we discovered. We've compared the tapes, uh, uh, the voter tapes from dis or November 3rd to November 5th to November 21st. And every time they run the ballots, they get different results. Oh. Um, and, 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 the and they change the results through down-ballot school board races even. Um, people should be concerned about this all about the country. And in Michigan, too, where there's 48 counties that use the Dominion voting machine. And as you mentioned, uh, these machines are being used throughout the country as well. What kind of resistance have you faced, Matt? I know there's a story now that the, uh, the Michigan Attorney General and the Secretary of State are asking that the the uh, the, the Bar Association here start to look at uh, attorneys who are filing lawsuits. And, and uh, what are you what are you facing? Well, I would tell you this um, in. When you file a lawsuit, we're entitled to do that as attorneys. Voters are entitled to do that. We're entitled to engage in a public discourse regarding the election, whether the election was fair and how it happened. And in Michigan, as a voter, you're entitled to to oversee the vote and be and have transparency. There's supposed to be what we call meaningful oversight in the vote count. That's why we have poll challengers and poll watchers. But in the state of Michigan, 
Uh, we have uh, uh, Attorney General Dana Nessel and Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, who don't believe we should be able to engage in in that type of uh, democratic discourse. They don't want to allow it. So what they've done in this case is target me and target other attorneys in the state who bring these challenges. And they're now using their political muscle to have the uh, Michigan Grievance Commission, which is part of the the Michigan uh, Supreme Court and the Michigan State Bar, to investigate attorneys like myself who file these legitimate claims. And what that is, is actually that is a chilling of public discourse. They're asking lawyers to put their fear above representing their clients in legitimate mm-hmm. litigation. And that's wrong. What that is, is totalitarianism. That is fascism. And that's the pressure they're bringing on myself right now. They want me to quit the case. So Dana Nessel is in the media every day telling lies and and uh, spreading spreading this uh this these threats really through this the the state-run media in the state matt are you gonna what are your plans i mentioned this earlier because this is what these moments that test us this is why it matters we need to know who we are and what we stand for because when you hit a moment like this there have been uh, attorneys that were supposed to represent the president in this election fight that that had to stand down because they were threatened there were folks that that were here in michigan and election officials uh that were threatened matter of fact there was just an arrest made here uh, of a of a woman who threatened one of the officials during the certification process in Wayne County. Well, I'm not going to back down, and I'm going to tell you why. Because number one, that's not in my character. But number two, I know that I'm right, and I know what the facts are. I know what the evidence is that we discovered. And I'm not going to back down from a thug like Dana Nessel, a fascist like like she is. But but here's what's more important. I, I'm going to continue to wage this this fight because uh, Jocelyn Benson intervened in our case. She wanted to be part of it. She filed a motion to come into this case because she wanted to stop the release of this report. And we didn't let her and the judge didn't let her. And then we released it. Now she's part of the case and she's a defendant. And I'm going to take her deposition. But you know what else I found out when I'm working through this case is back in November, uh, Dana Nessel also threatened every one of the Michigan Republican legislators. She told them if they investigated this election, if they sought perhaps to not certify the election, they would face criminal charges. That's the that's the thuggery that we're dealing with right now. And I'm not going to back down. So we are going to continue to fight Uh, two um, great people in the state, two patriots, both started fundraising campaigns uh, to help us fight this uh, battle against Dana Nessel. You can see those on my website. It's www.depernolaw.com, D-E-P-E-R-N-O-L-A-W.com. And we're going to raise money and we're going to continue to fight this. And we're not going to be intimidated uh, by fascists. Matt, thank you for taking the time to tell us a little bit about this. We're, we're sharing 
your story because it matters. Truth matters. And if there's ever even an appearance of impropriety in elections, well, we've lost it. We need to have transparency through this whole thing. And we appreciate uh, you joining us to share the story with us. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. And one more thing, if I can, if I got one more second, um, I've called for Dana Nessel to step down from her post as attorney general. What she did in threatening attorneys actually violates her oath of office and her ethical responsibility, and she should resign. It's Michigan attorney Matt DiPerno on the Glenn Beck program. Thank you, Matt. Thank you for having me on. Merry Christmas to you. It is... Uh, it's a fight that continues, but one you'll continue to hear about. Matter of fact, as I said, I just found out we're having issues with my email. Uh, so if you want to get to me on social media, you can at Mr. Justin Barkley. But also, because we never know what's happening with social media, I encourage you. I got this good newsletter where I send out good news, the stuff they don't want you to hear. JustinBarclay.com slash good news. Subscribe to The Blaze. Check those sources, those websites, so that you can always hear the truth. Back right after this on the Glenn Beck program. Got Merry Christmas. Justin Barkley in for Glenn today on the Glenn Beck program. And boy, oh boy, it's just flying already. Two hours down. One more to go. And get geared up because this next hour coming up is going to be a doozy. Love to hear from you at Mr. Justin Barclay, B-A-R-C-L-A-Y, at Mr. Justin Barclay, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all over. We're back with more right after this. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Merry Christmas, America. Justin Barclay from WOOD, Wood Radio in Grand Rapids, in for Glenn today on the Glenn Beck Program. Pardons, vetoes, much more in the news. Oh, and some miracles. Too. We'll cover it all coming up. We appreciate you being here with us today on the Glenn Beck Program. Back in just a moment. Well, what are we what are we going to do? <laughs> I just got a message from somebody. And if you want to uh, reach out to me, for some reason, my email shut down today. People are telling me they're getting messages coming back. Let's say, um, yeah, uh, it's full or. I have no idea. I don't know why that would happen on a day like today. Kind of funny, though. You can still get to me at Facebook, Twitter, and um, Instagram, at Mr. Justin Barclay. Uh, love to hear from you. But I just got this message that says, what do we do? How do we ever get some of these stories to be covered? I don't know that they will be especially by certain networks, especially by certain outlets. How do you get to the truth? I, there's so many stories. I, I, let me play you a little audio. This came out earlier this week. Fox News, Peter Ducey asked... Biden about the question of his son Hunter and whether or not he thinks those stories are still Russian disinformation. And this is his answer. Quite telling. Merry Christmas, everybody. Thank you. Oops. Here we go. Thank you. 
Good question. Like, do you still think that the stories from the fall about your son Hunter were rushing disinformation at a smear campaign, like you said? Yes, yes, yes. God love you, man. You, you're a one-horse pony. I tell you. Thank you. Thank you. I promise you, my Justice Department will be totally on its own making its judgments about how they should proceed. Thank you. You're a one-horse pony. First of all, I have no idea what that means. I don't know if he's talking in code or what. He looks like his eyes are kind of glazed over when he sees the guy asking the question like, hold on, there aren't supposed to be any hard questions here. What's happening? These are all supposed to be friendly. <laughs> he gets the question. He's like, oh, it's that guy. And um, furthermore, he says, my Justice Department will be on its own and yada, yada, yada. Sure, sure, absolutely. Yeah, I'm sure they will be held to account. Another story that's absolutely incredible. I, I don't know if you've seen this one. It's out of Georgia. This is the uh, the race for the Senate there. Democrat candidate Raphael Warnock, pastor. His ex-wife has accused him of driving over her foot. Now, this is some sort of dispute that happened. I think maybe the kids were involved. I'm not exactly sure how, how this all played out. But have you heard about There's not been any serious coverage of this. There's not been any uh, any question in the media about what exactly happened here. Again, it just goes to show that, you know, how this coverage plays out on different sides of different things. Well, they, they want you to know certain things. And others, they just don't care to share. The video is incredible. Here's just a little bit of it. All right, so you walked over. So I'm like, move, and she won't move. And she's keeping the door open. This is from the police body cam there. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, Chloe, just stay in the car. And I move, and I close my car door, get in the car. And I start to move slightly, thinking she's here. He explains it. He kind of gives his side of the story. But then what she has to say is frightening. This man's running for the United States Senate, and all he cares about right now is his reputation. I work at the mayor's office, and okay. this is a big problem. Okay. I've been trying to be very quiet about the way that he is for the sake of my kids and his reputation. I've tried to keep the way that he acts under wraps for a long time, and today he crossed the line. <laughs> so that is what is going on here, and he's a great actor. He is phenomenal at putting on a really good show. That is heartbreaking. And I don't know what happened. Obviously, we weren't there. But the fact that it, it's not covered is, is serious. What do you do? I had a call from somebody yesterday. What are we supposed to do? What can we do? I hear the desperation. I hear your voice. I, I understand. I feel the same way. What can we do? I'm going to tell you what I told him yesterday. We've got to stay engaged. We've got to seek out the truth. You know, as this continues and things heat up, you're going to hear less and less of the truth from these standard sources. And when you do hear the truth, 
I believe because it'll be so rare, it'll stick out. Glaring. Like a shining, bright beacon of hope. The truth. I think it always comes out eventually. Search for it. But not only that, I think we got to pray. And this man that I talked to yesterday in his desperation, he said, you know, I, I, I'm a believer. But it can't just be all prayer. It has to be action. I agreed with him, but I also think that there's a lot of action. Although prayer seems pretty passive to us, there's a lot of action that takes place in that prayer. So, on Christmas Eve, during this unprecedented year, maybe some of the things that we can do is seek out the truth, seek out hope. We can hit our knees and pray. Pray for this country. Pray for our families, our loved ones. But not just this country, the world. Because if we fall and we fail, it's just not just America that will go down. The rest of the world is depending on us too. There's a lot at stake. So in these dark times, can we give maybe a little bit more hope? I've got a great friend who's been through it all. He's been there and back. Let me just put it that way. In fact, he's experienced one of those miracles that I was sharing with you earlier about. They're happening all around us. We get in the habit of seeing them. I think they stand out even more. I'll share with you his story. And a little hope. A man who died, but he's still with us, and he'll be here right after this. This holiday season may feature more merriment with our devices than ever before as we stay connected with our family, friends, and a blizzard of online shopping. But all that online activity can mean more of a chance of exposing your personal identification. 64% of adults, we all admit to risking online privacy for convenience. Whether you're buying gifts or getting something special for yourself, you may not know that your identity has been compromised or that your information has already been sold on the dark web. Don't spend the holidays without identity 
identity theft protection from LifeLock. It monitors for uses of your personal information. And if you have a problem with identity theft, a U.S.-based identity restoration specialist is going to work to fix it. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but LifeLock can help you feel safer and warm this holiday season and all year long. Right now, save up to 25% on your first year at LifeLock.com, promo code B-E-C-K. That's LifeLock.com, promo code Beck. Save 25% now. Want a little hope? Could you need maybe just use a little this time of year, especially after the year we've been through, after the craziness? Well, I've got a really good friend who's been through a lot. In fact, yeah, you heard me earlier mention he's actually died, (laughs) but he's on the phone with us right now. Kevin DeVries with Grace Explorations here in uh, West Michigan. Uh, went through something very interesting about a year or so back, uh, and he's here to talk to us about it. Kevin, how are you, man? Merry Christmas. Yeah, you know, it's good to be here, Justin. Thank you for this opportunity. I know that's right. So Kevin uh, Kevin died. He, for all intents and purposes, he was dead. He had a heart attack. But uh, Kevin's not like me. You look at me and you think, okay, yeah, maybe this guy could have some health problems. Even though I'm down like uh, 96 pounds or so, I... I, I uh, you know, I, I've become a lot healthier. Um, I, I'm not the the absolute epitome of health. Kevin is a guy; he's a runner. You just look at him, you go, "That's a guy. He's he's got it all together." But Kevin, you were running. You're actually out for a run when all of this happened, and you had a, a heart attack. Yeah, um, it was September 21st um, of last year, and I was out on a normal five and a half, six mile run. It was pretty hot out that night. And uh, I did experience a cardiac arrest, which is a little bit of a different nuance than a heart attack. A heart attack, you could actually drive yourself to the hospital. In layman's terms, it's more of a plumbing issue. Uh, There's clogged arteries, there's damage. And so the repair is usually pretty extensive. Um, A cardiac arrest is, is nuanced a little bit different in that it's electrical. So it comes suddenly, it's like a thunderbolt on a clear day. And uh, typically, you don't know what hits you, and typically, they don't find you in time, especially if you're out doing recreational activities, unless everything goes really, really right after everything goes really, really wrong. Uh, the percentage of survival is, from what the paramedics and all the medical people told me afterwards, um, is in that 3 to 6% margin. So, uh, but the benefit of it is, if you fall in that 3 to 6% margin, and, and a miracle happens, which is what happened on that day, um, the damage is typically not extensive. Um, and so I was able to, you know, basically pick up where I left off a few months afterwards and, uh, began to run again and do some high altitude skiing. But it was, um, yeah, it was a physical moment, but it was a very spiritual moment as well. You know, it's funny to hear you say like, you know, I was out for my typical run and it was it was like this uh this typical kind of 5 6 mile run that Kevin makes i should probably also mention that kevin is a uh, a man who's climbed mountains he's an adventurer so this is a this is kind of like a rugged guy who's uh, who's used to doing physical things um so when he had that uh that event that took him down during his run um it was a surprise for so many of us that know him as this very healthy guy 
And as you said, Kevin, it's kind of like this this thunderbolt on a clear day. It's very rare. Um, even the doctors who uh, who examine you and look at you kind of in awe about what happened and what happened next. Yeah, when I went so, to the Meyer Heart Clinic, you know, they just paraded these guys in because they they had some type of definition for it, but it's it's rare and it typically happens to um, if it happens at all to post uh, partum women who've had difficult childbirth. So there's an unusual strain on the heart, and so if it happens with men, it's very rare and it's usually stress related. But something that I've contemplated and meditated on since the event, and we can get into that in a moment, is this idea that you know there's several instances in the biblical narrative where uh, individuals, uh, the Bible doesn't have the scientific medical language that we have today, but they would say that an angel came or there was a divine encounter and they fell down as if they were dead, right? Mm. And so you kind of wonder if you just fill in the blanks with contemporary language that, you know, it, it may have been that God just, uh, for his own purposes, as, as it is happening today, that um, something happened, you know, in the spiritual realm, and, and I was as if I was dead, and, and if it wasn't for a miracle that took place, I wouldn't be here. But it invited, it opened a portal, if you will, to the next dimension. Uh, actually, to the real dimension, I should say, because our dimensions are coexisting together, the spiritual realm and the physical realm. And it's hard to see beyond the bend from our physical realm because the time-space continuum doesn't allow for that. But when these great moments of uh, catastrophe and chaos happen, or pain, or in my case, a cardiac arrest, that portal opens... Uh, just for a moment, you know, and you slip in and, and for some, they don't come back. And I was very blessed to be able to come back. But, um, you know, you just kind of wonder, I, it was a little bit of a head scratcher because the cardiologists that came in, they just said, we really can't definitively say exactly what happened. Uh, we think it's a SCAD, a spontaneous coronary artery dissection, uh, because of some scant evidence of some arteries at burst in your lower left um, chamber area on the surface and maybe push blood in different directions, but we can't say that conclusively. It's the best that we can come to describe, you know, what happened. So I became kind of a guinea pig for the 13 days that I was in there. And uh, I just kind of walked away from it in the months afterwards just thinking, well, maybe there was just something really spiritual that was happening that uh, God knew about because he put all the right people in the right place at the right time. He obviously went to great lengths to bring me back exquisitely so, put everybody behind schedule, including myself. And, uh, you know, the the plan played out the way he had organized and already had pre-thought it, if you will. What's interesting about this, Kevin, is, you know, what you're hearing as a story on its surface is, you know, it's pretty amazing. You you think about that's that guy's really lucky, you know. Wow, everything just worked out right for him, you know. Maybe uh, maybe there's some divine intervention there. Maybe maybe it's just he just got lucky. But there's more to this story. When Kevin died, something happened. He experienced something that I think gives us even more perspective about maybe what happened then and. What continues to happen on a daily basis, Kevin, we don't have a lot of time here, but let's talk briefly about, before I may have to cut you off here, about what exactly you experienced in that moment. 
Yeah, so I was running and collapsed, and uh, the next thing I knew, I was looking down at my dead body on the running trail. I slipped up and over a ridge line. My wait a second. Wait, 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 wait. You, you are just glossing over this. <laughs> I got to slow you down. So you, you're running and you collapsed. Yeah, you're you running. Take it back to the graveyard before I died. I mean, this is well, all interconnected. I. Well, well, hang on, hang on. Yeah. You're running and you collapsed and then you said you you came up out of your body and over you're seeing yourself in your and and so e- explain this to people because I know we've we've heard this type of thing from people before, you know, uh, and the, maybe these these near death experiences, you know, the people that have these out of body things. But what was that like? You're floating above your body. Well, to be honest, it felt 100% natural, and it felt like a relief. Like I, I mean, I knew this theologically and spiritually beforehand, but it was a cognitive recognition. It wasn't uh, a deeply intuitive uh, experience because you have to experience these things and then come back to be able to put some of the pieces of the puzzle together. But it felt like a relief, like, okay, I'm finally out of my tent. I'm finally out of this temporal um, physical container, and the real part of me, the God particle, if you will, the part of me that lives forever in one destination or another that God uniquely um, partnered with my parents to bring his idea of me, the dream of Kevin, going back to like the book of, of uh, Jeremiah, you know, that God knew us before uh, we were inside the womb. And Job even talked about that as well in the biblical narrative, this idea that God had a dream or an idea, a sparkle, an illuminative thought of who we were before we became uh, a person inside our, our mother's womb. And so I think that um, there's just this particle, this spiritual part of us. I look at it as we're a spirit that um, has emotions and a mind that lives in a body. But first and foremost, we're a spirit. And that spiritual part of me disconnected from the physical part of me. And it felt very natural. Um, it felt, well, hang on. Least, quite frankly. Hang on. Kevin is with us. Kevin DeVries. He just talked about what happened when he died that day he was running floating out of his body where he went and what happened next is incredible you don't want to miss this back in moments the glenn beck program the glenn beck program welcome back justin barkley from wood wood radio in grand rapids and uh a friend Joining me here in uh, for Glenn on the Glenn Beck program, his name's Kevin DeVries. He's a guy's an athlete. He is a, he's an adventurer. He's climbed mountains. In fact, he went on a expedition. He's in a documentary, Finding Noah, uh, looking for Noah's Ark. The guy's been through it all, and, and uh, great stories. But the, the one we're telling today happened about a year or so back when he died. He had this event, this uh, heart attack that happened when he was out running. And Kevin was just talking about that. He, 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 you sort of described sort of floating out over your body, Kevin. And this story's getting kind of strange, but it really has a happy ending. Uh, we're talking about that right now. What happens next? Yeah, so um, I'm looking down at my body on the trail, and it appears lifeless. I'm seeing no one around, which actually fits in perfectly with the people who actually responded, because when they finally found me, I looked dead, and that's why they pulled over. If I hadn't looked dead and lifeless, uh, no one probably would have stopped. They would have probably thought I was just relaxing because of the way my body was postured. It looked like I had 
at least the rest of my fall somewhat to the extent that it looked like I was resting. So at this point, I'm floating up over this uh, ridge called Pine Ridge, and I'm going back to the same cemetery that I just walked through. I wasn't having a, I just wasn't feeling all that well during the run. So I thought, you know what, I'm not on a, on a clock, so I'm not going to worry about it. So I ran like three and a half miles and then walked through the cemetery called Cascade Cemetery. And when I had walked through previous to the cardiac arrest, I had noticed someone all dressed in white. Uh, his back was to me. He was working on a grave, kind of rearranging things, digging things. And I thought, oh, that's just kind of strange. I wouldn't do that if, if I wouldn't work in the dirt with all white clothes. But it wasn't first century garb, so it wasn't something that stood out. It was just unusual. And I just kind of put it in the back of my mind. So now I'm back in the graveyard, and this person that was dressed in white that had his back towards me is now facing me. And the light that is coming out of him, it's not harmful or hurtful, but it is uh, so bright that I can't make out any facial features. It looks uh, very strongly like masculine form. Um, and it feels like light that darkness has never touched, that this is light that existed before the concept, the construct of darkness was even something that was real. It was uh, like a capital L light, uh, light before there was darkness. And then I felt in that moment also a tremendous amount of love that uh, fear had never felt. Um, it was love that existed before fear was even an idea or even an emotion that we were capable of as humans or angelic beings were in the cosmos. And then the third thing that I felt in that moment was tremendous uh, sense of life that uh, death can never conquer. Uh, undefeated life maybe is a good way to say that. And so this person is all dressed in white. People are like, hey, do you think it was an angel? I'm like, well, typically when people have encounters with angels, unless they're in disguise, at least from the biblical narrative, uh, it's a pretty big freak out moment. I mean, there's uh, the first thing out of the angel's mouth typically is don't be afraid because they can see yeah. the shock and awe that these humans have because all of us would have that experience of an eight to 10 foot tall person was in front of us with a gleaming sword and, you know, a body that was burning like a, you know, a glowing ember in a fire. I mean, these look like movable furnaces, you know, walking coals, if you will. And so, because the glory is still on and they're coming from another realm. I didn't have that feeling. I had this feeling in that moment, like, wow, this is my, my brother in a, in a strange spiritual way. Um, we're brothers because we both share the same father, God almighty. Um, so I felt a, a, a familial connection first. And then secondly, I felt like, wow, this is my captain. This is someone that I've joined a band of brothers called Grace Explorations and all these base camps that were starting in breweries everywhere. And I thought, this is my captain. This is a guy that I'll follow into battle who always leads by example into the battle. And then the third thing that I felt um, as far as a, a spiritual, emotional connection was, man, this is more than a familial connection. It's more than a brotherly connection or a, you know, some type of military metaphor, I really felt like there's something higher that's going on, or this person is actually my king, who requires my highest allegiance, not just my savior, someone who I confess my sin to, but someone who is my Lord that I bend my knee to, and that I follow um, into the afterlife someday, and throughout this life. So a tremendous sense of sovereignty and, and uh, awe and majesty, and as and the clock is ticking now, right? So there's still a chronological clock. We now know after the fact that the paramedics are working on me for 10 minutes. Actually, the nurses who had stopped who were uh, behind schedule on their own personal lives, they're not on duty. They just happen to be driving by. They stopped. They did CPR, uh, everything the right way uh, because 
they destroyed my ribs, which essentially is what you're supposed to do. And they had no pulse. Uh, body went from ash and gray to blue and back. And it's, it was just a mess. And so they're working on me. And then the fire people come and uh, it coincides with the time frame that I'm in, but I'm in time outside of time right now. I'm in a different dimension. So time means nothing. The moment means everything in this moment. And in this moment, I felt like this person who I believe was the risen Christ said very simply to me, and it's uncannily similar to many other people who've had near death experiences. And it was just simply this, um, your time has not yet come, period, dramatic pause. And as he's saying these words, he's turning. So these words are coming like a leaf blowing in the wind to me. And as he's completing his turn, these words floated back to me, your mission is not yet complete. And the next thing I remember, I'm in the ambulance, there's beeping lights, people are talking, I can't talk because I've got an oxygen mask on. We're making our way to the hospital. I don't know what in the world happened to me. You know, the last thing I remember was running, and now all of a sudden I've, I'm surrounded by medical personnel, and people are visiting me in the hospital, and I'm asking the same questions over and over and over again because they figured that I could have uh, been without a heartbeat for up to 15 minutes. I think it was somewhere in the 12 to 13-minute range looking back at the medical records and piecing together the fact that I looked at enough for people to stop, so that has to have a certain amount of time elapsed. But the main thing I walked away from this whole experience was, was, um, boy, if you don't know Christ, uh, this is about as good as it gets. And that's why I think this, this time frame has been so depressing for a lot of people, because we want life to be meaningful. We want the holidays to be special. And so we keep um, trying to squeeze something out of something that it can't really give to us. And so there's a lot of despair connected with that. But if you do know Christ and you belong to him and he's your savior and he's your Lord, um, man, this is just about as bad as it gets. Like the best is always yet to come because the best hasn't even happened yet. And so that despair has a way of leaking out and hope comes into that place of despair. And you don't get all enamored and raveled up with all these little side stories because you're immersed and you're engaged in the epic story of God's story for us. And you realize that he's just writing his story through our story, through a nation's story, through the earth story. And, and you can participate in that with great joy because you know that this is just a fleeting shadow and uh, the body that we live in is a temporal tent at best, uh, but that our spirit becomes immortal and is resurrected with a new body um, with Christ someday. And then the other thing that I would like to say as well as this tremendous sense of belonging that in that moment when I had met the risen Christ, um, there wasn't this cosmic Santa Claus moment of, all my good waged against my bad. There was just this tremendous sense of, I know him and he knows me. And that's all that really matters in this moment. And so I like to tell people what you believe now will determine where you belong in eternity and your day of death, which is only a door to another dimension can be an incredibly powerful and wonderful celebratory day, a day of great joy, because now you're in your, in the, in the real country. Now you're finally in your native country. You're in the place that you were born to be, and everything else is just it's just shadows of something more real. It is interesting how you said you felt when you came up out of your body, this almost like this freedom that you said you experienced. How do we walk this balance, Kevin? Because I know we're human, right? So we're fallen, and we're living in a fallen world. Um, we want to know, you know, the hope that this is as bad as it gets, you know, that, that 
that the, the, the best is yet to come. Um, but we want to participate, you know, in this as well and, and, and do our part in, in the world that we live in. Um, because surely we're, we're called to do those things. How do we walk that, yep. that line? Well, I think just keeping the big picture in front of you. So the book of Revelation is very confusing, but what is clear if you just synthesize all the chapters there is that things have to get really bad before uh, Christ returns, if that fits one's eschatology. So in that sense, you can have a little bit of a sense of detachment where um, things are meant to actually get bad before they get really, really good. Now, the question mark and the litmus test that's a little bit beyond my bandwidth is how much do you struggle against the bad that's happening currently to bring about good, right? Um, and I don't, that's such a, a nuanced question, and I can't really give a definitive answer to that other than the fact that I, I believe 100% that um, everything that happens has a purpose, and it's part of a larger purpose, and we're kind of on the back end of this mosaic, this tapestry that looks really rough and um unbeautiful, if you will, and it doesn't have any harmony to it, but on the reverse side of it is something beautiful that we just can't quite see yet. So in my own personal life, every moment of chaos or every chapter of chaos always births something beautiful. In fact, you could say that our calling or our destiny is always birthed out of chaos. Look at the origins of America. I mean, it was birthed in, in revolts and riots. You know, it's just, it's crazy. Our beginning was rough. Uh, began essentially in a, in a revolution. And then something beautiful came out of that. And, and we became a, you know, a beacon of light, uh, a shining light, a city on a hill, if you want to get Reagan-esque. You know, there's just some beautiful things, but they come out of chaos. And so I'm really um, trying to partner with God and find out where he's bringing light into dark places and, and hold that, that thing loosely in my hand and not try to clench that, but keep the palms open and realize that God can use very bad things to accomplish very good things. In fact, um, I would say it this way, that sometimes the only way to uh, create a greater good is through a lesser evil. And that's uh, a mystery, and I'm okay with that. Uh, Younger in my life, I felt like I would need to control outcomes. The older I get, the more I realize that life is a great mystery, and there's a certain amount of tension. You've got to hold on to things loosely. Don't over-anticipate. Just live in the moment. Uh, athletic trainers will talk about living in the zone or playing in the zone. Don't over-anticipate the next move. Don't regret the past move. Just live right now because that's all we have. And I think a lot of our uh, stress that we have over the holidays is we're fearing the future. What's going to happen? So we get all worked up about that or we're punishing our past because of things that we regret or people have done or we've done to ourselves but we're never now. And if anything, I think the holidays, especially Christmas, which is about Christ, is living in the now. It's just letting Christ be incarnated in you. It's Christ coming into you, into your life as your Lord and as your Savior. And then there's an incredible sense of calm that comes with that, uh, that keeps you in the center. Christ is always the center. He's the calm in the middle of the storm. And without him, um, I just think that it's all chaos. But with him, there's that center, there's that calmness, even though the chaos is all surrounding. If you're with him and he's with you, there's a tremendous amount of, of, uh, of calm and reassurance that comes with that relationship with Christ. Especially through the chaos of this last year, maybe some words that'll, that'll bring you some hope and a little comfort 
maybe some peace for the season. Kevin DeVries, my good friend, graceexplorations.com. Thank you so much for being here with us and sharing a little bit of your story with the rest of America. Thank you, Justin. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, brother. We'll take a break, and we'll put a bow on this thing. Justin Barkley, in for Glenn Beck today on the Glenn Beck Program. Uh, welcome back, Justin Barkley, in for Glenn today on the Glenn Beck Program, and a Merry Christmas to you. I want to say that because from the bottom of my heart, as a new father, not only does the meaning of Christmas sit a little differently with me this year, but absolutely everything does. Everything we face and have faced over the last year or so takes completely new meaning for me as a parent. The perspective that I've gained in the last year, I can only hope that I've been able to share maybe just a little bit with you and some of the stories from others. The miracles that have happened even in some of the darkest moments of this last year have been incredible. On one hand, we are sitting in the midst of it now with a child that's in the NICU and how tough that is because it's not easy going back and forth and just not being able to bring your child home. Something that I think a lot of us maybe take for granted. But on the other hand, the absolute gratitude that I have that my child is here. She's healthy thanks to your prayers and that is what i i gotta sit in and and rely on that's what i choose to focus on this christmas and for each day forward that's what matters most look for the good it's out there miracles are happening all around us just open your eyes to the truth Merry Christmas. This God bless is America. The Glenn Beck Program.